the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In the epistle, St. Paul describes the battle we face in the Christian life in these words, quote, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This has a sort of strange and ominous feel to it, being besieged by all these unseen spiritual enemies. It seems a little daunting. But St. Paul is simply making clear something that is revealed in the Gospels in the life of Jesus. The Jewish people at the time of Christ saw Rome as their main enemy. They expected the Messiah to come and save them from Roman rule and restore Israel to independence and preeminence under God. Consequently, when Jesus died an ignominious death on the cross, it seemed irrelevant to the issues that were central in their lives. But Jesus wrestled not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. The true nature of the battle that Jesus was fighting was revealed in his temptation in the wilderness. Jesus resisted the demonic temptation that that the devil put before him, and he was, quote, obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Colossians says that on the cross, Jesus, quote, disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. From the public and visible point of view, what Jesus did was irrelevant to the main problems of his day. He did not change a single law. He did not win any additional civil rights for the Jews. He did not get any young men to join the armed resistance. And he was provocative, so he didn't compromise and keep the peace either. Nevertheless, the Bible teaches us that by his faithful life and sacrifice, Jesus conquered Satan, sin, and death, restored human beings to communion with God, and reestablished God's rule over every created thing. There are parallels in our time. There is a sense in our country and in the Western world in general that we have lost some of our former glory. And there are various factions that advocate for various strategies to recapture what has been lost. The categories of resistance are strikingly similar. Fight the political battle to restore righteous rulers. Oppose sinners to restore righteousness to the nation. Compromise with the powers that be to hold on to such good as we have. Beyond the public sphere, most of us have personal struggles. We have a subtle belief in these personal struggles that if we could just change some visible part of our existence, if we could just get some obstacle or adversary out of our way, if we could just obtain some desired tangible thing, we would be peaceful and joyous again, 
or we would be peaceful and joyous at last. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Visible people and circumstances are not our main enemies. The forces of evil work in and through our visible circumstances in an attempt to undermine our faith and lead us into despair. Those are the twin goals of all demonic temptation. The forces of evil would like us to focus on the temporal battle, put all our attention on that so that in the process we lose our eternal reward. As Jesus said, quote, what profit is it for a man if he gains the entire world and loses his soul? The devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness in three ways. He was tempted to turn stone into bread as a practical way to solve the hunger problem he faced. He was tempted to jump off the top of the temple and have angels catch him. The purpose of this was to have an act, a miraculous act in public in order to gain a large following. The devil tempted Jesus to worship him in exchange for all the kingdoms of the world. The point was to compromise God's law in order to attain some form of temporal power. In a book entitled, In the Name of Jesus, the author Henry Nouwen identifies three temptations that we face that correspond to the three temptations <clears throat> that Jesus faced in the wilderness. The first temptation is the temptation to be relevant. The focus of this temptation is on solving problems and meeting needs. The temptation of Jesus reveals to us that sometimes it is God's will for us to not have our needs met for a while. <laughs> sometimes for a very long while. This is done as a test of our faith, a test of our obedience. The temptation is to compromise our faith, to be disobedient to get what we want. Turning stone into bread, which was the devil's answer, is unnatural. It is never God's will to turn stone into bread. Though it might be viewed as a practical answer for solving the problem of hunger. The second temptation is the temptation to be spectacular. <clears throat> to do something great to get people to recognize us. And this is the temptation of great causes and movements that aim to change the world. The central Christian discipline of self-examination and confession leading to forgiveness works in the opposite direction. We realize we cannot solve any of the problems out there in the world until we first address the sin that is in our own hearts. Sin is the root of all the problems in the world. The third temptation is the temptation to power. The devil offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in exchange for worship. We are tempted to worship idols and make compromises in order to gain influence. 
I mean, after all, think of all the good we would do if we were in charge. This is, of course, the sin of pride, the antidote for which is humility. Christ conquered sin and death by becoming weak, by allowing himself to be killed by the powers that be. St. Paul learned that the power of Christ is manifest in us through weakness. He writes in 2 Corinthians, quote, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The central <clears throat> strategy of the devil, the wiles of the devil, is to get us to focus on the immediate results in time rather than on faithfulness, obedience, and eternity. Any time we are more concerned about solving a problem, being accepted, or achieving power than we are about doing the will of God and gaining his approval on the last day, we have fallen into temptation. Our life of prayer is the way we put on the whole armor of God. Prayer is a mode of existence more than it is something we do a few times a day. It is only as we live in conscious union with the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit that we are even aware of how the forces of evil are constantly trying to pull us away from this relationship. Those who do not live a life of prayer have already fallen into temptation. Through our prayer, we receive from God the very things that temptation offers us in counterfeit. <clears throat> we may have various unresolved needs, but through, the, through our life of prayer, through the sacrament, we receive the bread of life. And we learn if we have Christ with us in all things, we can do without certain things if it be God's will for us. Through our prayer, we experience the forgiveness of our sins, and we are accepted and justified by God. We learn that if God approves of us, if God will say to us on that day, well done, thou good and faithful servant, it doesn't really matter what the world thinks of us. Through prayer, we experience the power of God that puts all worldly power to shame. We learn that when we are weak, and when our weakness leads us to surrender ourselves to God in faith, we become very powerful, and we are freed from our captivity to things. Jesus conquered the forces of evil by his obedient life and death. And we overcome demonic temptation primarily by our own ordinary commitment to prayer and faithfulness and obedience in our daily lives. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.